0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the word of God. Come, let's listen in. So today I brought an object lesson if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in probably your favorite book to study, the book of Ecclesiastes. Someone was just offended by my sarcasm. I love Ecclesiastes. Some of my favorites. Priscilla Shire, don't know. No. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 you're a little unfamiliar, Psalms is kind of in the middle, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I don't have a great place to put this, but this is my new toy that after today will be in my office. For all of you under the age of something, this is an hourglass. <laughs> it's what your grandparents used to tell time with. What's interesting about hourglasses, when you buy them, there is a, a note that tells you not to use them as a timepiece. <laughs> not sure who would try to do that, but someone has, so there's a warning, don't do it. I have tested this one, of course, and it's within a few minutes of accurate Some of you are wondering right now, is he going to flip it? (laughs) And I am. When I flip this, the timer is on. It is about an hour, roughly, that the sand, once it begins to fall... We'll empty one bladder, if you will, into the other. When I flip that over. I want you to think about the sand as it relates to time. Every grain of sand that falls represents a fraction of time. In one hour's time, a lot of things will transpire. You say, well, I know what's going to happen here. I'm just going to sit here for the next hour and hope I make it out. Life moves at a rapid pace. If the recent pandemic taught us anything, research-driven information has proven that Time has quickened exponentially. You don't have to be a tech guru to figure out how technology changes quickly in every aspect of our lives. You don't have to be very educated to know that if you've lived more than 20 or 30 years, you look back and think just a few weeks ago, This happened and then you think about it and it was a few years ago. Seems like just a couple years ago we had our first child and next two months he'll be 13. Can't forget her. Next month she'll be nine. Time flies. As sand falls in this hourglass, so does life happen? I could go around this room, every pastor in every church could go around their church this morning, and the pastor, if he cares about his people and knows them, he could probably call out people by name and give testimony of events that happened rapidly, unexpected, without warning, that completely changed the trajectory of a family's life. After talking to John and Debbie this week, they would attest to the fact he has said in so many words, never would have thought this a week ago. Earlier this week, I'm on the phone with John Garman and he tells me, this is his son, keep in mind, in a hospital bed with tubes and medicine and the doctor saying he's got a 50% chance to make this. How quickly time changes. Just last week, I was in the hospital with Pat Kidd. Larry said these words We were just at church last night, we'd have never thought we'd be here today. Just like that, things change. Life changes, seasons change. In an hour, while we're here today, which will probably be a little less than an hour, just to give you a little comfort. Blood will circulate through your entire vascular system 180 times. Isn't evolution a crazy thing? Your heart, some hearts will beat more, some less, about 4,000 times in an hour. 15,000 babies will be born worldwide in an hour. And nearly 7,000 people will die before we get out of church worldwide. 7,000 people will die and face God, either prepared or unprepared, while we're in this service today. Just for fun, UPS will deliver 680,000 packages worldwide. And the FedEx fans will say, well, we'll do more. <laughs> six hundred and eighty thousand packages in an hour worldwide. I like this one. Facebook says that there will be four you can't make this up. There will be fourteen point six million photos uploaded to Facebook in an hour. Don't get on Google yet, wait till after (laughs) to fact check me. A lot of things will happen in an hour. I wouldn't be much of a preacher or pastor if I didn't throw in one that I didn't have to Google. You may or may not believe this, but Jesus could come back within an hour. really could. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon, who many consider the wisest man who ever lives, gives us some insight and clarity about time. For the last couple months I've been preaching on perspective and how our perspective as a believer is different than the world when we look at events, when we look at life through a biblical worldview. Now it goes without saying, everybody views time differently. But believers, Christians, who know what the Bible says about time certainly have a different perspective than the world. This is not in the notes, this is free, this will be a quick jab. Christians ought to use their time, I'll say on average, differently than the world. But we certainly should view time differently than the world, than an unbeliever. And so if you found Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's stand as we honor God's word, absolute truth. And I want to read verses 1 through 11 couple of these verses are familiar. You've probably heard them at a funeral. Why at a funeral? People start thinking about time at a funeral. People start thinking about how many days they got left at a funeral. People start thinking crazy things at a funeral, especially if you got a crazy family. (laughs) Solomon says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. That is a mouthful of biblical perspective, just that one verse. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break or break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, except for Baptist. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to Refrain from embracing. It's a good COVID verse. A time to get, a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to rend or to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Somebody say amen. time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit has he that works in that wherein he laboreth? I'll explain that because the question really is, What does it profit someone to go through all of this in life? What's the benefit of going through this? He says, I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He has made everything beautiful. God has made everything beautiful. Some versions will say this word appropriate. God has made made everything beautiful in his time." Also, he has set the world in their heart. World is eternity. He has set eternity in their hearts so that no man can find out the work of God. It's a mystery, this thing of time with God and events with God. No man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Father, thank you for your word. I pray for wisdom, discernment to say what needs to be said today. I pray that, above all, believers in this room will have a biblical perspective of the time that you've given us. And I pray specifically for a lost man, a lost woman, unsaved, believe, unsaved person in this room God, they seriously consider the time they have here and the decisions they make regarding Jesus as their Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to talk, speak, preach today on this thought, stewarding our greatest resource. Stewarding our greatest resource. We think about perspective, I want to, for the next few weeks, talk about the biblical perspective of stewardship. I know in most Baptist churches, if you've been around more than a few weeks, you hear stewardship and people automatically think, he's coming after my money. I think it's really, really important for all of us to understand that stewardship involves far more than money. Stewardship involves resources the resources that we have all been given. Some have different resources than others. Some have more, some have less of a variety of different resources. But I wanna talk about the resource of time. And I've just took a little liberty in saying that time is our greatest resource. You can have money, you can have a job, you can have a good family. You can have a lot of hobbies. You can have a lot of what my grandparents used to call whatnots, <laughs> knickknacks, stuff on the mantle. You can have a lot of stuff, but they're all worthless if you don't have time to enjoy or to utilize. Because we think money when we think stewardship, think of that truth. Think of the man that Justin referred to a couple sermons ago, not Justin, sorry, our our Argentine missionary last Sunday, who built up his barns. He had been blessed, and he built them up. He had a lot of stuff, nothing wrong with having a lot of stuff. We'll talk about that in three Sundays. Bring your pocketbook, checkbook, credit cards, three Sundays. We'll talk about a biblical perspective of money. Somebody marked it on their calendar right now. I'm sick that day. (laughs) Starting to feel the pain. Wasn't wrong that the rich man had stuff. It was wrong that the rich man had a, a wrong perspective of his stuff. And God said, thou fool, tonight your soul shall be required of you. This rich guy had no perspective of time and who time belonged to and it, who it didn't belong to. And in Ecclesiastes, I'm going to have to speed through this because I know where I'm going. The wisest man ever gives us some biblical perspective about time. Now, it's a lot of verses, but it's real simple because every Element or every occasion that's mentioned in these verses, every person in here can relate to. It's as if uh, God knew the seasons of life we would go through. That's called sarcasm if you just met me. It's as if God knew that, and so He included in His inspired word hey, there's a time for all of these seasons, for all of these occasions. And thinking about stewardship, it's important to understand before we take off what stewardship is. Stewardship is a manager, being a manager of. And we've been called by God to be a steward, to be a manager of, and it's not just a manager of your stuff. Biblical stewardship is being a manager of someone else's stuff. And when we understand according to Psalms and other Passages that all, this is just this is the redneck version, the R-N-V. That all stuff belongs to God. Yeah. Only then will we understand stewardship. His all time belongs to God. All money belongs to God. All stuff belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. Life time, mountains, oceans, fish, dogs, the whole nine yards, it's all his. And anything you and I have and that we are biblically, spiritually grateful for, we understand it's not mine. I'm not a, I'm not a salesman necessarily. Uh, I'm not in real estate necessarily. But I heard this real estate sales expert say, uh, one, of the, one of the ways that one of the lessons he taught uh, real estate agents was, and, and it really goes for salespeople in general, is don't say you ever lost a sale. You know, I lost that sale. No, that's, that's wrong because you never had that sale. You can't lose something you never had. Now that helps some salespeople. You're welcome, Twenty I'll be back next Sunday. <laughs> well It didn't help that I didn't get commission off of it, but it may help you sleep better tonight. We never lose anything we never owned. Now that 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 sounded like a Hallmark card right there, but it comes from God. How, biblically, Christians have a different perspective of loss. I just got way ahead. I got like three pages in my notes right there, just on that mess up. Why is this important? because we respond differently as believers. Immediately, immediately, a visual comes to my mind just a couple years ago, a few years ago of being in a funeral ceremony for a girl that I still see as a, a child, I remember when she was born, that was killed in a car wreck. I guess she's early 20s, maybe late teens. And in the church service, or her grandfather was a part of that service, preaching that service, I remember seeing mom and dad. Amen. (laughs) Mom and dad, while a coffin's at the front of the church with their baby girl in it. Mom and dad raising their hands and praising God. That's not something the world understands. Now I'm going to be honest with you. That's not something I can quite gather myself around just yet. I've seen people dying with cancer. Stand up and praise God. You've seen it. And just months before, they meet Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. I know I'm a preacher and I'm perfect. When I see people doing what I've seen people do, and testifying in the ways they have, my prayer immediately is, God, help me be that way yes. when my time comes. Because I can't imagine it. The only way I can put into perspective how that's possible is, when we understand as stewards, nothing belongs to us. We've just been given the opportunity by God to be a manager of what he's given us. As hard as it is for me as a daddy to understand and buy into it, that means my children. I'm a steward of my children. I'm a steward of the stuff God has given me. And the greatest resource any person in this room will ever have is time. And it's a gift of God. And how we steward it makes all the difference in the world steward is found in scripture as someone who is to be faithful in 1 corinthians 4 jesus told parables and he talked about the steward i read one this week that i don't know that i'd ever read at least that way before and it was pretty interesting i almost preached the whole message on it but that would have changed me up in titus he talks about the bishop the leader to be blameless to be a good steward of god and understanding that it all belongs to him, as I said, is the foundational truth of biblical stewardship. So, today, when we talk about this greatest resource of time, I want us to understand what time is and what God expects. I don't know if you've ever thought about the definition of time, but it's quite interesting. I, I've got spare time, so I do a lot of non essential research when I start studying. And I'm not going to bore you with some of the information that I found. One of the coolest things I found is that all of us are living in the past. Now I'm not going to pretend to be a neuroscientist, but um, our brains are incapable of living in the exact millisecond moment. Whoa. (laughs) So we are really, literally living in the twilight zone. It's only fractions of milliseconds, though. Like when you are cognizant enough to remember that you're remembering, it's already the past. (laughs) Time is not just sand. Y'all forgot about this. Trickling through. Some of you haven't because you've been gazing the whole time I've been watching. (laughs) I need one on both sides. I know some of you are, your spirit's quenched because I didn't get two. Then we'd have been been racing. Which one's going to I thought it through. Time is measured or a measured or measurable period. In Scripture, time can be an occasion. It can be a duration. It's a season, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. What's interesting about time, and I think it's pretty obvious, is that we all have been given time. Now, we're not all promised the same amount of time because we don't have any promise of the time, which is one of my points if I ever get there. But we've all been given time. If you're here today and you're breathing and the blood is circulating, then you have time. And and, uh, I want to say, as the pastor of this church, thank you for choosing this time to be with us. You've made time for God, and to that, he gives you a golf clap. But you've made time with God important by being at his house with his people and worshiping together and growing in grace and knowledge. And some of you are extra special and you came to Sunday school and hung out with other believers who want to learn about the Bible. Some of you just needed that extra hour because you know in a week you're going to lose an hour, so you were getting ahead. Is it really next week? Oh, should have done time next week. We all have 60 seconds in a minute. We all have 60 minutes in an hour. We all have 168 hours in a week. We all have 52 weeks in a year. If we live a year, we're all on the same page and all the equity crowd is happy about that. They're not. They're not, by the way. That's just we can talk about that later over coffee. Oh, this one should have more minutes. That's equity. Obviously, everyone doesn't spend their time the same. I, I found some more fun facts. I'll stop, won't keep going. The average American spends two hours and 48 minutes a day watching TV. You say, Well, I don't. Well, good for you. You fall into the next category. Two hours and 27 minutes on social media a day? Yeah. Some of you turned off that time stuff on your phone because you didn't want to be convicted, right? Some of you didn't know that was on your phone, but you're like, you have spent three hours and 26 minutes on Facebook. Oh, I'm such a loser. Uh." (laughs) Deleted. This was cool for you money folks. It says the American household, the average American household makes 0.096 cents per minute. Like, you don't, have to be, you don't have to be actively working, so y'all figure this out, seven, seven days in a week, 24 hours. So even when you're not working, you're making money based on the breakdown of finances and the hour and what you get paid. Okay? That, that immediately, I mean, I can almost see smoke in people, like wheels are turning. <laughs> some of you are questioning whether my math's right, and some of you are like, well, I make more than that. That's less than a dime a minute. <laughs> That the American household is averaging, you're making. Just by living, you're making a dime a minute. And if you feel like that's good, I don't know why you do, I don't know. You make 10 cents a minute, an apple will make $70,466 a minute. That puts things in perspective. In this text, time is mentioned 29 times. In the King James Version, the word time is mentioned 29 times in Ecclesiastes chapter three and actually just verses one through eight. And this Hebrew word in Ecclesiastes does mean season, duration, occasion, and the writer actually outlines different occasions. So I wanna look at two quick points, we're there. First of all, in this text, that time is purposeful. And then next we'll see that time is precious. Time is purposeful. It serves its purpose because this is important for us to know that God created time. And we're not here to study Genesis today, but I think it's worthwhile to know why time exists. Now, this is going to blow all of our finite minds, but there was a time when time didn't exist. We serve an eternal God who existed before time existed. So at some point in the history of time, time had to begin. You get all that figured out, we'll sit and let that resonate for a second, then we'll move ahead. God created time. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, you don't have to go there. I'm not going to waste a lot of time there. But verses 3 through 5, God said, let there be light. He said, well, that was light. God, and there was light. God said, saw that the light was good, and he called it, and he divided the light from the darkness. There was a time where there was only darkness, and then God created light, and then he divided the darkness and the light. And God called the light day. It's a duration. It's a season. It's an amount of time. And he called darkness night. Verse 5 of Genesis chapter 1 says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Some of you evolutionists out there saying, well, no, no, you're not. You're all good Christians in here that believe in creation. But people struggle with how could God do all this in a day? Certainly it didn't mean 24 hours. No, it did mean 24 hours according to the language. And then in verse eight, you'll find, and the second day. So there was another day. So God divided time, and God created time. This is important. You say, you're either sitting here today, and you're like, tell me something I don't know, or that's worthless, or wow, that was great. But once we understand that time is on purpose, and we understand that God created time, it gives us, as Christians, a biblical perspective about time. Because when I know where I'm going, and I know where the Solomon was at, and I know the, the message that he's trying to teach us all today, it's important to understand because of where we're headed in just a few minutes to know that God was the creator of this season, or this time, or this duration. Colossians chapter 1 says that God created everything. Well, actually, specifically, Jesus. Jesus was there at creation. All things were created through him and by him, and nothing exists that wasn't is not in existence through him. And in that all things consist. Through God, through Christ, everything exists. Time exists because God is in control, because Christ is on the throne. That's why time, hey, there's going to be a day where time changes a little, and it won't be next Sunday. God created time, and in this passage of scripture, and this is really the bulk of what I hope helps us today, is the reality that not only God created time, but God controls time. Now, the disclaimer to this portion of Scripture where we look in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is, and I'm just we're all, we're all in this together, it's real easy to say amen. Maybe not out loud, but at least in, in our hearts, and our minds, some of us more dignified will say mm-hmm, amen. Some of say it out loud. But when we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and we look at the first eight verses where God through Solomon's writing tells us about seasons of life it's on one hand easy to say amen that's right brother that's straight from the word of God but then it's a little bit more difficult to say amen when we see what's represented and what's experienced in those seasons and what gives us perspective as a Christian is knowing that God controls the times Ecclesiastes chapter three teaches us this, and I remember one of my middle school teachers, I think, using this word for the first time ever, and I've always liked it. Ecclesiastes three teaches us that the events in this world are not simply happenstance. There are no coincidences. I I can't wait for eventually there'll be a testimony from our resident stand-up comedian, John Garman. Because we were on the phone the other day and he started telling me the things that were transpiring and how you can't make it up. I told a little bit to the church Wednesday. The people that are involved and the people that are coming into play and you gotta, you gotta, he'll tell it more eloquently, I'm sure, (laughs) later. But you got a son in the hospital, 50% chance to live. He's intubated. He's got issues. His liver numbers are down. He's got pancreatitis. Heart rates dropping. Heart rates increasing. Blood pressure decreasing. Doctor says 50% chance to live. Not in church. Not a professing believer. Wife's not in church. Not a professing believer. Two kids. Wife's mom is Jewish. Dad is Catholic. No church involved. Set the stage a typical non-church family in America by the way. Kid plays soccer. Nobody knows this until now. Kid plays soccer in an organization in the city park or whatever that's put on by the local Baptist church. It's kind of like upward. The local Baptist church youth pastor finds out about the kid that's playing. His dad's in the hospital intensive care. The youth pastor from the church gets involved and comes and speaks. The parents didn't even know the church was putting on the deal chaplain comes in, told the church this Wednesday, not all hospital chaplains are like us. Meaning Bible-believing Christians. I'm just going to say it that way. But thank God for the ones that are. Um, This guy comes in and he's one of us. He's a former alcoholic. He's been in a similar situation. But he saved and now he's serving as a chaplain. Come to find out they didn't know all this. He's from the same church that the youth pastor's from that's there to minister to the family. And these unchurched, spiritual, spiritually needy parents have their kid in a church-sponsored, evangelistic, Bible-preaching church-sponsored youth program, Children's Soccer League. Got a dad sitting there thinking, man, I'm praying for him. I got people praying for him. We need this to happen. We want this to be a wake up call for him. And God coincidentally brings all these people into the scene within 24 hours. And today, John and Debbie are Ocean City Baptist Church, where this church, where these people are from. So that's a lot of happenstance. No, God controls seasons. God is not surprised by what just happened. God's in control. And Solomon teaches us here that to everything in verse 1, there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. The seasons and times refers to appointed times. There are appointed seasons. There are appointed occasions appointed by God. In other words, there's an appointed time or season for everything. The the key word here is appointed. Nothing just happened to happen. What a biblical perspective for Christians to understand and to own. Yeah, it's difficult to understand. Yeah, it's difficult to process. Yeah, a lot of times we're, how could God allow this? Or why did God do this? This text, is, this text is not saying that God created bad situations. It doesn't say that God caused this wreck. It's saying that God controls the season, He's aware of it. And there are seasons in your life that this text will say go from zero to a hundred in seconds. There are seasons in this text that say we go from mourning to dancing, from happy to sad. And God is in control. God's not unaware. It's not that he created or caused the problem, it's that he's sovereign and governs over all situations. I want to really quickly go through some of these and just to kind of make a comment or two, verse two, one of the seas- these seasons that are mentioned here, and like I said, everybody in here can relate—the time to be born and the time to die. I was reading behind one and one person, and they said, "Births and deaths are not human accidents." What a perspective for the world today. Both births and deaths are not human accidents. Unexpected pregnancies, by who? Mom and dad, not by God. I know it's it's quiet, the sand's going, and I know what time it is, I know. I know there's a lot of things going on right now. Why should the church have a pro-life biblical view when it comes to abortion? You don't have to answer that's rhetorical, because I've just told you, based on Scripture, there are no happenstance births. Amen. Even with the terrible, sickening numbers of abortions in America, none of those took God by surprise. None of them were well, of course, they weren't accidental. But none of them were human accidents. Both the birth and the death. When it comes to God's perspective. Why should the church be so pro-life? Because God's pro-life. Because there are no accidents. Everyone was born with a purpose. God teaches that in Psalms. Even Paul talked about it to the church in Ephesians. Ephesians. That God had a plan for you before you were ever born and he wants you to walk in that plan. Yeah, man's tried to mess it up. Yeah, sinful man has tried to mess it up. And yes, sinful man has wrecked a lot of families. And Satan himself has wrecked a lot of families because of sinful man's decisions. Now's a good time if you think about saying amen to say amen. That's what's wrong with this country. Sinful man has made sinful decisions to wreck families in this country. And that's a problem Joe Biden couldn't fix 20 years ago or any other president. He says, time to be born, time to die, time to plant, time to pluck up. For you farmers, it's time to plant or pluck up right now, right? It's as basic as it is. We don't, don't need any biblical excer- exhortation on that. Time to kill or time to heal. Some of you like that. <laughs> Told you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about disease, talking about sickness. Hey, listen, this is perspective. There's a time for some to be healed and some not to be healed. That's a question that I've heard in church all my life. Why, do some people, why are some people healed from this and some people not? I would be a fool if I had some great you know, philosophical answer for it. But here's the answer. There's a season, and it's ordained by God. It's appointed by God, and God knows, and you don't, and I don't, so we pray according to God's will. Amen. And I'm being just honest. I don't know this right, and I don't have a verse for it. I pray according. When I, want, when I want somebody to be healed, and I got a lady sitting in the church right here, I pray on Wednesdays every night. I pray often through the week for, and I pray, God, I'm praying according to your will, but I really what I'm asking you to do is touch her body physically so she can see. I believe he can, but I don't know his will, so I pray according to his will. And I throw in just for fun, God, I don't know if you care, but my will is that she's healed. I pray believing that he can. And many of you are doing the same thing. The reality is there's a time for some to be healed and a time for some not to be healed. Verse four, a time to weep and a time to laugh. I love that verse for some of you need to, Some people, not you, not you. I said that wrong, I misspoke. (laughs) Strike that from the record. There are some people in our lives that need to learn there's a time to laugh. If you ever say anything funny, I will. (laughs) You don't laugh at anything else either. Nobody likes you, there you go. There is a time to laugh. God's all right with you laughing at the right time, at the right place. Only if it's really funny. But there's also a time to weep. There's a time to be sorrowful. There's a time to mourn. And according to scripture, and who goes by scripture, there's a time to dance. (laughs) Just not in church. Or on the property. Or premises. Or anywhere within 100 feet of the property line. That's in Bylaw 3, Section 4. Oh, There's a time for laughter. There's a time to be happy. There's a time to be sad. There's a time to mourn. It's important to understand as believers, our perspective is we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Yeah, we still cry. Yeah, we're still upset. Yeah, we still mourn, but we mourn differently. That's important. The world doesn't have that perspective, but a believer does. Oh, I love verse five. I gotta throw this one out there because it's kind of confusing to some people. A time to cast stones... Or cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Most, some people with some biblical intelligence would think, are they talking about stoning people or whatever? Maybe, potentially. It's the time to cast away stones and the time to gather stones. You have to understand what Israel looks like. Come to our meeting next Sunday. and anyway, So when you go there, uh, there is no uh, shortage of rocks in Israel. They are limestone rich. And uh, it's everywhere. That's why a lot of the buildings are white looking because they're all built with limestone because it's everywhere. It's a resource. And so, but it's not a great resource for farming, which many of them farm then and now. And so it's hard, even in your garden, to take your Husqvarna tiller over a rock. You figure out real quick, they're not made to dig through rocks. Can you imagine taking a mule through a big chunk of limestone. Well, it's everywhere. So the agricultural world, they understood there's a time to um, cast away stones and a time to gather stones. This is important. I don't, I don't know if you'll appreciate this or not, but it has everything to do with perspective. Now, I have read, I haven't experienced it, didn't see it on people's court, but I have read that back in those days, if neighbors got mad at each other, they would throw or dump the stones in their neighbor's yard. Why? Because they knew it hit them where it hurt. Now you've got to get rid of this stone. So the reality is the perspective of stones in and of themselves are not good or bad. Depends on what you're doing with them. They're great for building. They're not great for farming. And so here's the moral of the story. Some of you need to hear this. Some of us need to hear this. If somebody throws stones in your yard, don't throw them back. Build with them. I almost, I almost sounded like one of my favorite preachers when I said that. If I'd have said it a little Texas twang, that would have sounded just like (laughs) him. But that's what he's talking about. There's a time for both. It's it's what you do with the stones. Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. That's really not about COVID, just in case anybody was wondering. That's about, there's a time to say hello and there's a time to say goodbye. Now this sounds so elementary. But these are the seasons of our lives. Some of you in here had to say goodbye to somebody, not in death necessarily, but you had to say goodbye to a friend. And and worlds went one way and one went the other way. And it was tough. It was hurtful. Some of you made new friends and new relationships. And we all understand, if we're just honest with ourselves, that relationships make and break us many, many times in our life. And God says there's a season for that. These are the seasons of your life. Now would be a good time to say, these are the days of your life. But anyway, so. <laughs> time to get and a time to lose. Sometimes you give, sometimes you receive. Sometimes you're looking and sometimes you're just saying, I got to count it as a loss. So that's, that's what this text is saying. Now I did read behind one really, really smart scholar who said this speaks truth to the reality that there's a time and place for a yard sale. Time to keep and a time to cast away. Spring cleaning. Time to rend and a time to sow. Speaking of when in the Old Testament they would rend their, rip their clothes in grief or in mourning, there's a time to do that. But then there's a time to rebuild. Church, in, in our perspective, in, in our situation, there's a time for us to mourn together. There's a time to us to, to sit with someone while they're mourning, while they're hurting. But then there's a time for us to come beside people and lift them up and build them when it's time to build up and move on. Listen, I, I, I've got examples of people who in my life said, just get over it and move on. I've heard that. I heard that from a, someone I, used to re, I did respect. I guess I still kind of do halfway. You just gotta get over it and move on. But there's a difference in telling somebody to get over it and move on. Oh, by the way, people feel like they have authority when they've been there too. Well, I've been there too, so just get over it and get on. No, there's a difference in mourning with someone and working with someone through it and then building them up through it. And there's a time and a season for that. That's one of the reasons church is so important, and that's not in the text, but I think it's worthwhile. Warren Wiersbe said this. There's this whole idea of, in this text of, of really confronting the argument that life is pointless, that life is meaningless, A born-again Christian should never entertain the thought that life is meaningless. Everything happens for a reason in a season under God's control. Now, that's easy preaching and hard living. But if we're going to be men and women of Scripture who have our worldview formed Biblically, and that's just the reality. That nothing happens by chance. Nothing ha- happens by happenstance. That God's not caught off guard by anything. Life does have meaning. It's not just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. Yeah, you can eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you will die, but you'll stand and give an account to God. Pointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And Warren Wiersbe said, if we cooperate with God's timing, life will not be meaningless. We cooperate with God's timing. What's that look like? It's a bad time for this to be happening, God. Now, nobody would ever say that, but we've thought it. And we probably have said it, if we're honest. Oh, this is the worst possible time for this to happen. I wasn't ready for this. Now, if you're a born-again believer who trusts in the perspective of God's word, we approach those times differently. And we might, I mean, i am just be fair, we might still say, well, this is a bad time for this, but God, this is a season that you've brought me through and there has to be a purpose. Because the first part of this passage says, for every time and season, there's a purpose and a plan. God has a plan. And this is old and cliched and almost cheesy, but in every season, in every situation, every bad situation, every bad, according to us, situation, we've got a choice. We can become bitter or we can become better. And it's a lot easier to become better when we understand this is of God and this season he has a plan for it. He has appointed this season in our life and he's not taken back by it. And so when we approach the situation, we say, God, I'm just, I'm, I, I, kinda, I like to pray honestly when I pray to God. That's probably a good idea, because he kind of knows when we're lying. Like, God, this is terrible. I hate this. I wish you wouldn't have done this. Maybe I say something a little more spiritual when I say that. But I believe you're in control. So I'm going I'm to pull out that Romans 8:28 as well. Y'all know that verse? It's a good one to know. So God, I'm going to trust it. All things work together for good. And the verse doesn't end there. For those who love you, I do. For those who are called according to your purpose, that's me. That's the perspective of a believer. Now, Yeah, I'm up here in a suit preaching, and that sounds like i got all the authority to say it. And I do because it's scripture. But I'm just man and human enough to say that's not easy. But it changes our perspective. From God, why did you do this? To God, why did you do this? Oh, that sounded the same, didn't it? God, why did you do this? Or God, show me why you did this. Two different perspectives. For a believer when we understand God's in control. Would you stand with me? You're here today and you're a believer and you know it. What I've preached is truth. Nothing takes God by surprise. Everything, every season in your life, he's well aware of. And maybe Your question should be, God, show me why. How do I grow from this? How do I get through this? How do I get better through this? What do you expect out of me through this? And maybe that's the time for you to reflect and pray to God, show me. I'm just going to be, this is all fresh. I don't have all this written down. Maybe God's revealed to you that you've responded differently to a season in your life than he would have wanted you to. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe you're just ticked off at God. I've been there. I've been there. And, and it's part of the Christian life. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to publish it, but I'm going to say it. Because if you really believe God's in control, you really believe he's creator and He and all things consist through him, if you really believe that as a believer, when you start blaming and you start wondering why, who should I throw this at, who should, who's responsible for this, if you're really a believer, it'll all eventually come back to God. God, this happened because you. God, this happened because you're in control. And then you got a choice, once you get to the, to the culprit, you got a choice to trust him or to be ticked off at him. If you really believe he's in control, then he's the responsible party. And what you do when you respond to him makes all the difference. I've been there. I can testify to it. I got mad at a lot of people. I was bitter at a lot of people. Trying to figure out who to blame. Who to cast out. And it came down to, God, you're in control. And now i got to respond to you. And how we respond to him matters in who you are today. Lastly, if you're here, you've never been born again. There's a time, there's an appointed time for you to meet God. It's appointed unto man, once to die, and after that, to judgment. Here's another good verse, I love it. Today's the day of salvation. There's a time to be born again, and I believe I believe according to scripture that God's not willing that any should perish. I believe that God desires for you to know him in a personal way through Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you're lost and you don't have biblical perspective and you understand maybe for the first time if I make Jesus Lord of my life and I accept his word as truth then I can face difficulties differently. Church, I'm not preaching something that's never been preached before. But never one of us most likely have sat in a funeral or by a graveside, hurting, mourning, crying because of a physical loss, a time to say goodbye. It's a season of life. But you're here today and you're making it and you're spiritually healthy because your perspective was for that born again, grandmother, mom, dad, whoever, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and you put a whole lot of trust in stock in that truth, and it gave you a different perspective. The flip side of that coin's a little different. No doubt there's been people that sat by a graveside or in a funeral service, and that man or woman was not born again. And as a child of God, what a perspective. It's not good. It's not something that's encouraging, but it makes us live the way we live. Makes us make the decisions we make. And it's not a preacher's decision, it's not a preacher's idea, it's not the Baptist church's idea, it's God's perspective. And we need his perspective. Got enough of ours. Got enough of our opinions, we need his perspective. Would you pray with me, Father, we thank you for reminding us Of the gift of time we have. God, I thank you for, like many in here, the resources you've given us. But may we not take for granted the resource of time. May we be stewards of what you've given us. Use our time wisely to benefit your kingdom. God, I pray for Christians all over this room who maybe they're struggling, maybe they've been struggling with some decisions and some events, some seasons of their life. May this shed light on the why behind it. And God, certainly if there's a person here today that's never been born again, they have no relationship with you through Jesus Christ, maybe today would be the day. Today would be the time that they reach out in faith, confess their sins, accept you as their Savior, be born again. We ask this in Jesus' name. While we sing, if you need to pray at the altar, Pray where you're at, do business with God. I encourage you to do this. As I am without one, please. But that thy blood was shed. Your attention this morning. I trust that God has spoken to somebody. We've all been through and we'll all go through difficult seasons in our life. We'll all go through good seasons, we'll go through bad. And How we navigate through those systems and those seasons will be based on our perspective of God and his word. I got 30 minutes minutes more preaching. I gave you half of it. Time is precious. It's valuable. It's a gift. I probably wouldn't be able to sleep tonight if I didn't say this. Parents, time is your greatest resource. You'll never buy your kids anything more important than time. Dad, what's your view of success look like? Chuck Swindoll said the same formula for success is the same formula for a psychotic, in so many words. Is success, working yourself to death, making a million, bottling a million, spending a million sitting on a million, or a success seeing your kids and your grandkids be a success in the eyes of God. Y'all, everybody good? Our kids spend seven to eight hours a day with teachers in public school. They play sports. They go to clubs after. They may spend 10 to 12 hours with somebody else every day is the time we spend with them when we can, as valuable as it should be. Who are we allowing to shape our kids' lives? I didn't say take them out of public school, I didn't say that. But God forbid that you work 10, 12 hours and your kid gets home and all they've heard from was teacher and coach. And don't hear from parents. And you wake up in the morning, they get ready, and they're off to school again, and all you've said is good night. And then we wonder why we're producing the kids we're producing. Parents, it's our job. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, give them time, invest time into their life. It makes a difference thank you for listening today if you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries please visit our webpage at cbccannapolis.com